0: Amen. Thank you, Brother Kinley. So very good to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for being here. We appreciate all of you for making it a priority to be out here with us today to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're so very glad to have our visitors with us. Thank you for being here and blessing us with your presence. And we hope that your time with us is a blessing to you and the worship is edifying and that you uh, grow closer to God as as a result of your experience here with us. And if you're ever this way again, or if you're looking for a church home, we invite you to uh, be here at the Bullard Congregation. If there's any way we can serve you, let us know. We're also very thankful to have those who join us online, Uh, whether it's the first time today or you're here every week. We're so very thankful that you're here with us. And remember to reach out to us if there's anything we can do to serve you. Well, we're almost done with the book of Philippians. We have this, this morning and next week, and we'll finish it. And uh, I don't know about you, but as I've been studying it and going through it, it has blessed me more every time. You can, you can never exhaust uh, a subject or a book of the Bible, and you just get deeper and deeper. You just mine the riches of God's Word. It's so rewarding, and I hope that it has prompted you to uh, want to study more because we haven't hit on every single thing. We're not trying to uh, go word by word and verse by verse. We're hitting on some things along the way. And I hope that it's encouraged you to study more. And I hope that you have been uh, enthused by the, the Philippian letter and that you've been more interested in the Word of God. We want you to be on fire for the Word of God because that's what that's what we go by. That's what we follow is God's Word, not some... Not some Author's book or not, some thoughts that we have. We want to go by the Word of God. What thus saith the Lord, and uh, so the 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 issue is, is getting into the Word and mining the riches. And once we do that, we can never get enough. And it's that 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 fountain fountain of living water that never dries up. So there's some things in this portion of what we're going to cover in the first part of chapter four that really blessed me as I studied, and I hope that they're a blessing to you as well. So we're going to be in. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and I'll read that for us, and then we'll make some points. Paul writes to them, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion... And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So all throughout this letter, Paul has repeatedly expressed his love for these Christians in Philippi. He was very close to them, as we know, and we see that uh, over and over again in this letter. And he does it again as he begins this last portion of... Of this letter to them, when he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, and he calls them his joy and his crown, and then he ends with, Stand firm, the Lord, my beloved. So he packs into one sentence there, uh, several times saying how much he cares about them, but he's telling them that they are his joy and his crown. See, he cared so much for the churches that he worked with. And in one place he talked about he, he, he uh, carried the burden of the churches that he worked with every day, that he always felt the burden of them. And, and these Philippians, Christians, were a crown of victory to him because uh, their salvation is a crowning reward to his faithfulness to God. And, and, and it was a crown of victory to him because he knew what he used to be. See, this guy writing this letter saying these things is the guy that used to get letters of permission to go into homes, walk into homes and arrest women and men and children and drag them to jail because they believed in Jesus. This is the guy that despised Jesus. And so then when he met Christ, when he became a Christian... His life was turned around, and so uh, their salvation in Christ is his joy, his, his crown of victory, because he knows that they have what he has, and he knows that he didn't continue in the life that he was living, and that their lives were turned around because of what God did in his life. And, and to see Christians whom he used to persecute, Uh, grow spiritually, and for them to grow the kingdom of God just meant everything to to him. That meant so much to Paul, especially those whom he was so close to. So he encourages them, stand firm in Christ. Now, in verses 2 and 3, he gets a little personal here, doesn't he? Because he calls out two people by name. And I wonder if it went something like this. Can you imagine being in the audience when this letter was read for the first time? Because that's what they did. It, it wasn't mass-produced and, and everybody got a copy. It wasn't emailed out. There was one copy, and it got read before the congregation. And you have no idea. You're one of those uh, ladies in this case, and you have no idea, but but your name's about to be called out. And Paul is about to say uh, to say, Y'all need to work this out. You two, Yodia and Syntyche, you need to get this together. You need to be of the same mind. You need to fix this. That's what he's saying to them. Can you imagine how they felt? Now, Paul wasn't trying to embarrass them, and we don't know exactly what was going on. But whatever it was, the Apostle Paul, being divinely inspired by God to write the words he was writing, chose to say this, call them by name and tell them to work it out. Why did they need to work it out? Well, they were sisters in Christ. They were a part of that congregation. And a little division can end up causing a lot of division. A little yeast works through the whole leaven, Jesus said. And, and so he needed them. It was of some, some kind of significance where he needed them to work out whatever it was between them. It doesn't seem to be doctrinal because he very often and and doesn't hold back calling out doctrinal problems in in the congregations he writes to. It it, it seems as though it was just something in preference world because that's where we have most of our disagreements. Among, uh, I think it should be done this way. No, I think it should be done that way. And so whatever it was, he's telling them to work it out. And that says something to all of us. Because Paul, remember his theme, one of his themes through this letter is not only joy, but also unity. So he's telling them, look, you, you're united in this congregation there together. You've got to make this work. You've got to be able to live together in community. And so whatever it is, you need to work it out. So these women also were important to Paul. These were women he was close to because he says that they had labored with him. They were co-laborers. They had been faithful, strong, solid servants of this congregation. They had helped to grow this church that started just with Lydia back when Paul first visited there. And and their faithful service, their dedication had helped grow this congregation. And for whatever reason, there was a disagreement among them. And he tells them, y'all need to be of the same mind. And so he repeats what he said there. He said that in verse, in chapter two of verse two, uh, verse two of chapter two, he says, be of the same mind. That's the same thing he's telling them. He's just making it more personable by calling out their names. Now, think about yourself in that situation. It ought to make us ask, what if one line was written about my life and that one line would still be read by people 2,000 years from now? what would I want that line to say about me? What what would I want to be written about me if one sentence was going to be written about me to sum up my life or to say something about me or to me and people 2,000 years from now would read that and read my name, what would I want them to read? And I think that's a good way to look at that because that helps you kind of keep your attitude and your emotions... In check when sometimes maybe we wanna lash out, we wanna disagree and we wanna fuss, and and sometimes we like conflict, or we just, that thing just rubbed us wrong, and so we're gonna say something and we're gonna do something, or that person has pushed my buttons for the last time, and so it's time to say something. Now, Paul's not saying you can't talk about something. In fact, that's what he's telling them to do. You need to work this out. But you can't have division among you, and you can't let this fester. And so we see how Paul addresses this because he knows it's healthy and right for the church. We also see that he didn't take sides, did he? See, he didn't even say what it was. It's as if, you know what, it doesn't really matter what it is, and I'm not taking sides. I just need you two to work this out and work in unity together like you have been doing and to serve this congregation. But, you know, there's also this other person that he mentions, and he calls them a true companion. You see that? And we don't know who this true companion is. That's just how he refers to this person. So there's somebody there in that congregation who he also identifies, and he says, I need you to help them work this out. That says something to us. We need people among us who will help us work through some things that we go through. When we have disagreements, we need our shepherds. We need our ministers. We need our brother or sister in Christ to help us work through that thing if we're not able to resolve that thing ourselves. That's a good and healthy thing to say, you know what? We're not getting anywhere. Let's get brother so-and-so. Let's get sister so-and-so to help us. Mediate this and guide us in the way that we should go. And so he didn't even take sides. He just said, let's work towards unity. And I think that says something. He doesn't bring up the substance, but he brings up the need for unity in the church. And then we move to verses 4 through 5 where Paul repeats his theme again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice you see, he, he, he just, remember earlier he says, it's no problem for me to repeat things. Paul likes to repeat himself. And that's a good thing because it helps us get it through our thick heads. And he says rejoice, but where does he say rejoice? In the Lord. And I'll say it again, rejoice. And where's our rejoicing? In the Lord. Now, Now, see, what he's telling us is, you can't always rejoice in the circumstances of life. You can't always rejoice when you look at what's facing you. There may be nothing in that situation to rejoice about. And the only rejoicing you can do is to rejoice in the Lord. And that's what he's telling them to do. You find your joy in the Lord, not based on the the tossing waves of wind and culture and, and emotions and other people, the ups and downs of life and things that go on. You find your joy in Jesus and that will get you through the storm that you go through. And so he says he's not calling for a happiness that depends on circumstances, but this deep contentment, In Christ, to know him, he said earlier, and to know the power of his resurrection. And then in your rejoicing, what does he tell us? Be reasonable. Be a reasonable person. Have a sweet spirit about yourself. Be someone who's easy to get along with. Don't be a difficult person. Someone doesn't agree with you. That doesn't make them liberal. Someone doesn't agree with you. That doesn't make them uh, legalistic. Get together and study that thing. Talk about that. Be reasonable with one another. How much division has has, uh, been caused by being unreasonable? We hear one thing from someone who heard something, who heard something, who thought they heard something, and we're ready to write off that person. Or or we misunderstood something about a person and we're ready to write them off. Paul said, be reasonable. And then that the world needs to see our reasonableness with one another. That, That we can get along. He said, the world needs to see that the Lord's church can get along with one another. If we can't get along with one another, why would anyone in the world want anything to do with us? So let your gentleness be known, your reasonable be known to all men. Work things out. So that's what he's telling the two ladies there. Y'all need to be reasonable with one another. And then he reminds us of what we need to be reminded of very often. The Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming soon. This isn't going to last very long. in, In our lifetime, it seems like it does. But it doesn't last very long. Our lives are but a vapor. And so the Lord is near. We need to remember that. And in remembering that, we need to be able to work things out with one another and to be at peace with one another. And then we get to verses 6 through 7, which I think I I love studying these verses because there's so much here. But I think they're also, uh, especially this first part of it, is misused very often and 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 can can and can be used in ways that I don't think Paul intended it to be used. And so Paul writes, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." And so sometimes what we just hear is well, don't be anxious or don't worry. You need to stop that because it's a sin. Period. End of sentence. No more conversation. No more discussion. I said, "What's a sin to worry? It's a sin to be anxious. You're you're wrong. You need to repent and get right with God." Well, I, th- I think that cheats us on what God wrote there for us. Because that's not all that Paul said about that. There's more to it than that. And and just to tell somebody, hey, Bible says don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. You're in sin if you do. That doesn't help that person one bit. That makes them a little more anxious about, oh, my goodness, I can't stop being anxious. But you're telling me I'm wrong for being anxious. Now I'm really anxious. So that's not what Paul is trying to communicate. we got to finish the sentence here, finish the verses here, finish the thought. So when we read those first few words, though, it could seem like, Paul, are you in reality, dude? Like, are you kidding me? We're not supposed to get anxious or worry about stuff? Are you even human? Are you telling me I'm supposed to shut off my emotions, that I'm not supposed to feel, that I'm not supposed to uh, have feelings and emotions, that I'm not supposed to care? Am I just supposed to be some cold-hearted Christian, so-called Christian walking around here? Is that what you're saying? Are you that far removed from reality, Paul? Has your education gone to your head? And Paul would say, no, absolutely not. Let me finish. Because... We might want to say, Paul, don't you care? How could you be so insensitive with what people are dealing with? But remember that this guy that's writing this is sitting in a Roman prison, not knowing what's going to happen to his earthly life. Everything in his earthly future is dark and unknown. He has no idea what's going to happen to him. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And with all of the persecution, and things that he's uh, been experiencing and experiencing now, he's he's the one writing to them to say, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be so full of care or, or be careful for nothing, some translations say. And, and this, this is a guy who had all the pressure of these, these, these sorrows weighing on him. He's in the very center of crisis in his life. M- far more than the Philippians were. They weren't experiencing anything like what he was experiencing. Oh, they had some struggles and some suffering, but nothing near what Paul was going through. And he's the one writing to them. And don't you think that when they heard those words from a man in the middle of the fight, it meant a lot to them. And it just bolstered them to hear those words of triumph and encouragement to say, you know what, if, if Paul can say that from the bottom of a dark Roman prison and he doesn't know what's going to happen to his life, then I can hear those words and I can believe them too. And I think that's powerful because we know who it is saying this. Now, the, the, the thing is that that can sound still impossible, To do like how do you how do we not be anxious when we see the the facts of life facing uh, you know in our face the circumstances of life staring us down how on earth are you saying we can't we shouldn't be anxious well what does the word anxious mean the word anxious here means to be divided pulled in different directions it also means to care in fact, he earlier talked about Timothy caring for them. But, so it's used in, in different ways. Mostly it's used negative in the New Testament. Sometimes it's used in positive ways. Okay, But the idea inherent in this word is of an individual attempting to carry the burden of the future by themselves and expressing an unreasonable anxiety about things over which they have no control. Does that kind of sum that up? what he's saying, anxious, do not be anxious. Don't be like that. Why are you carrying the weight of the world and all of the worries and it's got you so divided and fragmented and pulled in all these different directions? Don't do that, he's saying. But we still don't understand, well, how are we not supposed to do that? How, Paul? He, he, he's going to put being anxious in contrast with confidence in God. He's going to contrast the two. And so rather than being anxious and divided and distracted and fragmented, Paul tells us to do what? He says, but in prayer and supplication, take everything to God. Make your request known to God. Now that prayer there means prayer in general. It's just you know, you're coming to worship to pray. You're worshiping him in, your, in maybe a personal devotion. You're praying to him. And then supplication means... It's a more specific talking about your specific needs, the specific request that you have. What are those, the needs that you have? What is it that's worrying you? What is it that's got you worked up? What is it you feel you, you can't control? What is it you feel that is just out of control in your life, spinning out of control? What is it that's got you so frantic and at your wit's end? He's saying, you need to talk to God about that. See, that's the thing. Is God so often is the last one we talk to. And Paul's saying, take all of that anxious stuff that you have, all of those cares and worries, and you need to go talk to God about that. Make your request known to God. And that's how we're supposed to do it, prayers, supplication. Now, then he said, what? How do we do it? With thanksgiving. Oh, now that helps us too. Because when I go to God with thanksgiving, and I'm thanking him for being the God that he is, and I'm thanking him for loving me, and I'm thanking him for all of the blessings he's given me, and I'm thanking him for salvation, and I'm thanking him for what he's doing in other people's lives, what am I doing? What's happening up here? in my mind and in my heart. I'm acknowledging that God is God and not, not me. I'm not. I'm acknowledging that God is powerful and I'm not. I'm acknowledging that God uh, cares for us uh, more than I can care. God has uh, all control and I don't. I'm acknowledging that He is God. And I'm thanking Him for those things. We need a more thankful attitude to remember what God has done for us. And when we do that... That starts working on our minds and our hearts. We need to tell him what we're dealing with and take our cares and worries to him, but also go with thanksgiving, recognizing who he is, that he's in control and not you, that God's got this and you don't. That's why you're so anxious because you think you've got it. And Paul says you don't. God's got it. You need to be going to him to talk to him about this. What so often causes our anxiety? Isn't it that we don't know how things are gonna work out? We don't know why they're happening the way they're happening. We don't know what the future holds. We, we can't see the plan all spelled out like we like to see. We don't have all the answers. It feels like too much. I, I don't know what to do in this situation. I, and, and where do those work? Add us in, our minds and our hearts. All that worry and anxiety starts working in our minds and in our hearts. We feel it in our hearts and our mind starts racing. All these different scenarios, all the worst case scenarios possible, that's what we start thinking about. And we start making up all kinds of stories that we tell ourselves and then we start believing that. And where did that come from? All of your anxieties that are weighing on you that you're trying to control and not taking to God to let Him control. 1 Peter 5, 7, Paul helps us because he says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to take all the anxieties, the frustrations, the stress, the panic, all of that stuff, take it off our back and throw it up to him and let him have it. Why? Why would I do that? Because he cares for you. He says, you're my child. Let me take care of you. Come talk to me about what's going on. Tell me what scares you. Tell me what hurts your your heart. Tell me what broke you. Tell me what you're going through. I care for you. We need to lay it in his lap because God wants to take care of his children. Jesus asked, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. See, God wants us to move from being anxious to having peace. That's where, he's try- that's where Paul's getting us to. He wants us to move to anxiety, to the peace of God. So Paul said, don't be anxious. Instead, what- take whatever happens uh, to you in your life, cast it on God because he cares for you, take it to him in prayer, and then what? What happened? What's the and there that you see in verse 7? And the peace of God. See, you don't get there when you're carrying all the anxiety. When you're trying to do it and stay in control, you can't get to the peace of God. Do you see that? And how do you get from anxiety to the peace of God? Through prayer. That's, how, that's what we've been studying on Sunday mornings. That's how you get to that point that peace of God. And what is it about that peace of God? It surpasses all understanding. See, you won't even understand the peace of God in your life. You won't even understand, how does this work? Why is it different now that I trust in God? How come things, uh, I'm not so anxious and worried all the time now. You won't even understand how you're able to go through things now because you have the peace of God, because you got there through your prayer and supplication and going to God. So it's this peace of God. What does this peace of God do? This peace of God, Paul says, guards our hearts and our minds. Do you see that? Where's all the anxiety? Where's all the anxiety in our lives? In our hearts and our minds. That's where it's eating us up. That's where it's killing us. And Paul said, take that to God Lay that at his feet because he cares for you. And then you get to the peace of God that you won't even understand. And that peace will guard that heart and that mind that used to be full of anxiety. Now it will be full, filled with the peace of God. Does that make sense? See, verses 6 through 7 help us understand 4.13. Now we can't go to 4.13, but I would like to, but that's next week. But it helps us understand how Paul can say what he's about to say that we're going to look at next week, especially in 4.13. Like We look at that and we say, Paul, how can you say that in 4.13? I can't even tell you what it says because that's next week. But how can you say that, Paul? Well, over here in verses 6-7, through he told you how. Because he takes all that he's going through and he casts it on God and and, and gives prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to him, making his request known. And then he got to the peace of God. That's how he can be at peace, sitting in that dark Roman prison cell, not knowing what's going to happen to his life. And the peace of God was guarding his heart and mind as he sat there writing to them to tell them the same thing. You may not get there in one thought, in one day, in one experience. And I want you to know that, that panic attacks and, and anxiety can be extreme. Some people can have really difficult times with that. And so Paul is not making light of some really serious trouble you might be having with anxiety or panic or, or worry or things like that. He's not belittling that. In fact, we ought to be encouraged by the things that he said, by the things that he says. We ought to be strengthened by the things that he says. But I think what we see is that if we'll do that, we see the result that God's word is telling us we'll get. Now, you know what? You might need to go talk to somebody to get some help with anxiety or depression or whatever it might be. You might need to seek professional help. That's not addressed here in this passage, but there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing to do. Do that. Here's the point. Do what you have to do, whether it's professional help or you're going to talk to somebody regularly or you've got a group of folks you're going to talk with, whatever it might be. Here's the point Paul's making. You do what you gotta do to get to the peace of God in your life. Does that make sense? So we're not taking it lightly. We're not making it, make belittling true serious problems with anxiety and, and all of those kinds of things. That's legitimate. Do what you need to do to work through that and get to the peace of God in your life. That's what Paul's telling us. Isn't that what you want for your life too? There's too much being thrown at us to be able to make it through this life without the peace of God in our lives and how do we get there going to God in prayer and I wonder I don't think I pray enough and I don't think it's about enough enough you know stuff I do performance but knowing of what God can do for us and wants to do and what he's done for us that ought to just drive me to prayer all the time every day I shouldn't I shouldn't be rushing my prayer It ought to drive me to quality time in prayer with God. Not a record player put on repeat to play the same prayer while I go through the motions in the morning, but real, sincere, intimate prayer with God. I know this uh, message has helped me studying this, and I hope that it's encouraged you. Paul ends with the kinds of thoughts that we're supposed to have. Our thoughts need to be, on godly things. They need to be in, we, need, we need to be in control of our thoughts, and that helps us with anxiety and things along those lines. We shouldn't let our thoughts just run wild. We need to be careful what goes in our eyes and into our mind and into our soul, don't we? So that means you need to be careful what you're looking at you need to be careful what you're thinking about and they need to be godly things and that's what paul's telling us and if and if you want to look at something think about something whether it's negative whether it's dirty whether it's you know whatever that is you need to hold it up to this list over here and if it doesn't fit in that list that paul just gives us about things to think about then we ought not be thinking about it does that make sense you see that and then he says Follow his example as he follows Christ's example. He says that again. And then he ends with, and the peace of God will be with you. I hope this has encouraged you. If there's any way we can serve you, pray with you, uh, help you this morning, we want you to know that we're here for you. If you need to study God's word or if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, we want you to know this congregation is here for you. Let us know how we can serve you as as you come forward as we stand and sing.